This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. And when when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need. Before you ask him, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord is calling us to learn to pray for His glory to be seen and rejoiced in, beginning with us. He's teaching us to pray for His glory to be seen and rejoiced in. Father in heaven, give us the gift of illumination today. Let us hear Your Word. Let us see Your glory. Let this church be a church that prays. We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's remember the context, the Sermon on the Mount. It's, It's this first teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. There are five different sections like this, intentional by the author of this Gospel. And this is the first one. It's foundational for the kingdom of heaven that Christ, the risen King, has ushered in. This is His foundational teaching. This sermon, including the Lord's Prayer, is for those in the kingdom. This is how those in the kingdom pray. Remember, they are poor in spirit. They mourn over their sin. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They are pure in heart, all because of grace. They've been born again by the Spirit. It's a gift. They're different. Recurring theme, verse 8, do not be like them. He's teaching those in the kingdom. Do not be like those that aren't in the kingdom, that haven't experienced this grace. Those in the kingdom are born again. Their culture is 
different. It's countercultural. It's a, it's a Christian counterculture. These, these people are blessed. They're happy. They're different. And this, this prayer, this way to pray, don't pray like them. This way to pray, it's radical. Luke says that Jesus told a, a parable, you remember it, about the persistent widow. The reason he told the parable was so that they would always pray and not lose heart, not be discouraged, not be depressed. Prayer brings the blessings of the kingdom. That's why we should pray. The Lord's Prayer then is how to pray. It's a method for prayer. John Calvin said this, if someone desires to have something to help him in his need, he must leave self behind and look elsewhere for aid. Moreover, it has been explained to you that our Lord generously offers himself to us in his Son, Jesus Christ, promising through him all happiness in place of our misery, all fullness in place of our poverty, and opening up to us in him all his heavenly treasures and riches, so that our faith may look holy to his precious Son. Here there is a secret, hidden, an unsuspected philosophy. Those understand it whose eyes our Lord has opened so that in his light they plainly see. We're taught by faith to know that all the goodness which we need and which we ourselves lack is in God and in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It therefore remains for us to seek from Him what we know to be in Him, to ask Him for it in prayer and supplication. That's why we have a prayer week. Let's, let's turn our attention now to this Sermon on the Mount, to this Lord's Prayer. And learn from Jesus how to pray. I went into vocational ministry in 1983, almost 40 years ago this June. I was untrained with very limited gifting, but I got an education pretty quick. It was an education that included a constant reminder that I couldn't rely on myself. I learned through failure. If I was going to be involved in gospel ministry that was going to really serve people, I was going to need God's help. Actually, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. He's talking about gospel ministers among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one of fragrance, from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? 
It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one's sufficient. Not even the great apostle Paul. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. This is, this is true for anyone involved in gospel ministry. They are not sufficient unless God makes them sufficient. His grace is sufficient, and His power is made perfect in weakness. So I've come to appreciate my lack of gifting. I've come to appreciate my lack of training because it reminds me of my need for God. Paul was caught up into the third heaven. He met Jesus, the risen Lord Christ, personally. He was gifted. He was trained. Nevertheless, he recognized he was not self-sufficient. His sufficiency would come from God or he would not be sufficient for gospel ministry. It's the nature of the job. It's true of your job too. It's true of every role you have. Parenting, marriage, you are insufficient for these things. For me, it was very obvious from the beginning that I was in desperate need for God's help. And I didn't have mentors to help me. I didn't really know where to turn. People to teach me these things. The young men like Jake Cronin that are being trained for future ministry have an embarrassment of riches in their education, their mentors, their gifting, I am very faithful to remind them of this, and I, I want you as a congregation to pause for a minute and just recognize what you're giving these young men. Thank you. They're not going to thank you, but I'm going to thank you. you. You are doing them a great service. You are giving them so many resources for training. After a few years in the ministry, I was introduced to Larry Lee's Could You Not Tarry One Hour. I can't recommend him now, but at the time, that material served me. He taught a method of prayer directly from the Lord's Prayer, and it was a game changer for me. I've, I've learned that his method is not unique. Actually, people have been teaching a method of prayer from the Lord's Prayer for centuries. How I learned how to pray for longer than a few minutes from that material. I don't, I don't pray for an hour every time I pray, but I have and I can because I've learned this method of prayer. The Lord's Prayer addresses the problem we all have, which is, how in the world do you pray more than a few minutes? We, we try to pray, and then we find after a few minutes, we're just out of things to pray for. The answer to the question, could you not tarry for, for one hour, is no. Jesus actually asked his disciple this in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. His most trying time. 
He's facing the cross. He's got his disciples. He asks them to pray. He keeps coming back to them, and they're asleep. Get some caffeine, boys. He came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? So if you're discouraged about your prayer life, you're in good company. And the point of the Lord's Prayer and all that we say about prayer this week is not to make you feel worse. It's, it's, this, this Lord's Prayer is given to us to help us pray, to teach us to pray. And this coming Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, for Cornerstone U class, I'm going to be teaching the material that has evolved over the years from the Lord's Prayer that will help us apply the Lord's Prayer, I hope, in our prayer life. So join me next Sunday. Jesus gave his disciples the Lord's Prayer because they were asking him to teach them to pray. And so in verse 9, he says here, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wanted his disciples, he wants our church to be characterized by prayer. He wants us to delight in prayer. It's a a conversation with our Father in heaven. We need his help and he's our treasure. And so he wants our culture, the culture of our church, whether it's privately or publicly, he wants us to be known for. He wants us to enjoy prayer, all of us. And that's what we're hoping to see happen in our church. Last Sunday was the second Sunday of the month. And we always leave room at the end, as you know, if you've been here very much for a time of prayer, we invite people up and we have teams. Pastors and members of the church make up these teams who pray for people who come to them for prayer. My team is Greg Fox. Pray for me, would you? <laughs> and Sarah Segraves. These are not pastors. But what I've, I so enjoy about praying with them is these are disciples who know how to pray. They have a heart for people. They, they love people. They so want to help. We all feel that way. So when people come up and they, we ask them, how can we pray for you? And they share and they, they've come up front in front of a whole group of people and say, I need help. And you, can, you, you know how that feels. You want, I, I just want to fix it. But we can't, we're limited. And so we pray and Greg and Sarah, they care. I just feel it about them. They, they, I recognize their heart for people, but then they know how to pray. James says in James 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Prayer is for everyone with a human nature that God redeems. God answers prayer. It's it's a critical issue in our lives. It's all important. Surely, we need to be taught how to pray more than anything else because of how important it is. 
John the Baptist had taught his disciples how to pray, and Jesus' disciples saw that. We learn in the Gospel of Luke that they, they came to him and they said, Lord, John's teaching his disciples how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. John's disciples clearly had seen John pray, and they thought, we don't pray like that. Teach us to pray. So he taught them to pray. Imagine Jesus' disciples. They watched him pray. He would get up early in the morning. He would go and spend all night in prayer. And they were just like us. They would, they would have been aware that after a few minutes, they didn't feel like they had anything else to pray. They, they would just fall asleep. Even when the Lord was appealing to them to pray for him. And they wanted to be able to pray like he prayed. They wished they knew God the way Jesus clearly did. Have you ever felt like that? If you're, if you're dissatisfied with your prayer life, that's a good thing. That's encouraging. And the Lord gives us, he gives his disciples this Lord's Prayer. When we say, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you. And that's what the next four Sundays are all about. Martin Lloyd-Jones, there is no question that prayer is our greatest need. More and more, we miss the very greatest blessings in the Christian life because we do not know how to pray aright. We need instruction in every respect with regard to this matter. We need to be taught how to pray, and we need to be taught what to pray for. It's because it covers these two things in a most amazing and wonderful manner that we must spend some time in a consideration of what has become known amongst us as the Lord's Prayer. It's a perfect synopsis of our Lord's instruction, how to pray, what to pray for. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Jake mentioned, he likened the, the Lord's Prayer to a young basketball player having the opportunity to learn from the greatest basketball coach of all time how to shoot a basketball. Or being able to ask the greatest chef to teach you how to cook. Or if you're a pilot, having a chance to learn from the greatest pilot, Jeff Hodgson, in the world. We'd be on the edge of our seat ready to hear what the expert has to say. We would be willing to follow his advice and example, wouldn't we? Jesus is more than an expert. And prayer is so much more important than any of these things. It's indispensable. Martin Luther said the Lord's Prayer is the very best prayer that ever came to earth or that anyone would ever have thought up. John Calvin said... Saying the Lord's Prayer is a privilege because it's in it the only begotten Son of God supplies words to our lips that free our minds from all wavering. Every Christian prayer, every one of our prayers should be informed by this prayer. This is our model. It teaches us what to pray for. And maybe most importantly, whom we are praying to. So, we're going to begin today, four Sundays on the Lord's Prayer today, two points, our Father in Heaven, 
and hallowed be your name, the first petition. The Lord's prayer is really very simple, isn't it? It has an opening address that is followed by six petitions. We're going to look at the first one today. Today we'll focus on the opening, our Father in heaven, and that first request. We're not ascribing something to God. We're making petitions. We're asking God to do something. The the first three are asking God to do something about His name, His kingdom, His will. Any, Any kind of prayer that is truly a Christian prayer always glorifies God. The, the kingdom of heaven is different, isn't it? It's a, it's a spiritual kingdom. It requires faith to see the unseen. There is something that has happened in disciples' lives. They've, they've had their eyes open and something is different. They, and they've entered this spiritual kingdom. I recently was introduced to a podcast called How I Built This, and it interviews all these leaders and founders of companies, and it's a fascinating podcast. And one of them was on Jimmy Fallon, The Tonight Show. And I listened to it, and it was uh, fascinating stuff, how he came to be, how he became successful, and what he has built. He actually sounded like kind of a humble guy who loved his wife and his family and I was intrigued. He came from a small town. I didn't know any of this. And so, you know, I never stay up late enough to, to watch The Tonight Show, but now you can record it. And so uh, you can watch it. And so I, I turned it on and watched The Tonight Show for the first time since Johnny Carson was doing it, I think. And I watched it, and what struck me was how countercultural I've become. And uh, there were some things that I, I thought were good. It, it wasn't crude. It, it wasn't crude humor. And uh, I didn't think it was very funny, but <laughs> which probably isn't good. But the main thing I thought about was how in the podcast, Jimmy Fallon talked about luck. All these moments of luck. Just got lucky. I mean, luck in all the podcasts about all the, uh, the businesses that have been built, that luck got lucky. You know, that, that hits a fella who loves John Flavel. Because I don't believe in luck. I believe in the providence of God. And it's just a different, my eyes have been opened to a sovereign, sustaining God who's the creator and sustainer of his universe, who's active in our midst. I want you to see him. It's so important because Jesus is saying, this is, this is the one we're praying to. And it's important that you see that. And I'm not critical of anyone who doesn't see it because it's a miracle that we see it. It's a miracle of God's grace. Our eyes have been opened. God is at work. And I believe it's a gift of common grace when someone like J. 
Jimmy Fallon succeeds. In the original Greek that Matthew was written in, the first word of the Lord's Prayer is Father. Amazingly, the God of the universe, the God who made the world out of nothing, Jesus wants us to call this God Father. He created the universe. He upholds the universe. He sustains the universe. Jerry Bridges says the so-called laws of nature are nothing more than the physical expression of the steady will of God. Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he's strong in power, not one is missing. The stars, they, they follow their course because God keeps them there. God gave life to everything, and he didn't just create and then walk away. He constantly, according to Scripture, sustains that which he created. Psalm 147, he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. He sustains you and me. Paul was preaching in Acts 17, he says, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. For in him we live and move and have our being. He supplies our daily food. Our times are in his hands. Every breath is a gift from him. Every moment he is sustaining your life. This is who Jesus says we call Father when we pray. We begin, when I pray, I begin with Father in heaven, or Heavenly Father. Why, why is He our Father? John 1, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, born of God. He gave the right to become children of God. These are the ones being taught by Jesus to pray. And they begin, Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. It's, it's only those united to Christ by faith who are truly the children of God. It's not everybody. We become his children by adoption. We are born children of this world. We are born children of wrath. We have to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and translated to this kingdom, a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. And when you pray, begin by realizing that you become a child of God because of what he's done for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this isn't the birthright of everyone. It's a spiritual privilege. It's your spiritual privilege. It's a privilege. Only disciples call God Father. God has taken initiative in our lives. He's redeemed our lives. And now we call Him Father. It's the people the Beatitudes were about. They're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who hunger and thirst after righteousness. John, John says in his first epistle, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children 
of God. If you're with us and you're not a Christian, I have a question for you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, can you think of someone who is a believer who is praying for you to become a Christian? You might be sitting beside them. They're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And this teaching on prayer is relevant to you. I wonder if you being here is an answer to prayer. I wonder if God's at work in your life because you're here. So February 9th, we have the forum. Jake mentioned. Little Jake. It's, it's for you. If you come up to me after the meeting and you tell me you're not a Christian, I have a hardback copy of the Cross Center Life. They are no longer produced. There are only four left in the entire world. <laughs> you can take them and sell them on eBay for hundreds of dollars, I'll bet. I would guess. But I will give you one. And you can read through this and learn about the gospel. And I want to pause right now and pray for you. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who is not a Christian. As a church, we want to tell them about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Lord, I pray that they would experience the love of God and come to Christ and realize that He gave Himself for them. We pray that they would be saved They'd be born again, transferred into your kingdom for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not to pray to our mother in heaven. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. He does not have a biological gender. He's not male or female. But everywhere in Scripture, he reveals himself as a king a husband and a father, but never as a queen, a wife, and a mother. We're not to pray to Mary. We're not to pray to the saints. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. We don't have the right to pray to God in ways that we think are better. The Lord's Prayer shows us who to pray to. In, in union with God the Son, God the Spirit works in our hearts so that we call out in faith to our Father. Someone is listening when we pray. And not just anyone. It's my Father in heaven. This isn't a ritual. I'm speaking. I'm having a conversation with my Father in heaven, my God. It's, it's a relationship. Jesus puts it in these intimate family turn, uh, terms, and, and the Bible reveals to us that the Spirit works in our hearts so that we cry out, Abba, Father. Kevin DeYoung says, he's not your roommate or your butler or your girlfriend. So don't be chummy or demanding or romantic. 
But neither are we told to pray to him as a dictator, a parole officer, or a harsh taskmaster. Like we have to plead with him against his better judgment to listen to us. So don't grovel, don't squirm, don't be afraid. Come to him as a, a child, comforted that your father loves you and confident that he wants to hear from you. We aren't, we aren't asking him questions. I get, I get frustrated when, when folks say, would you? I just don't get that. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, and make requests from his promises with faith. He's not an earthly father. He's our Father in heaven. For, for many people, when you talk about the idea of fatherhood, it, it's not one. Their, their picture isn't a man of love and wisdom and mercy and kindness and generosity like our God. Many have fathers who are cruel. They're selfish, addicted, violent. Many have been beaten by a father, abused by a father. Their father didn't sacrifice for them. He spent all the money on, the, on himself. And if we tell you that that God is your father, it isn't helpful. It isn't very kind because you have the wrong idea of fatherhood. So we have to deal with our, these human, these sinful notions of fatherhood. They need to be corrected. Now I want to pause for a minute and thank every father in this room who's a, who's a faithful dad. We, we'd be missing it if we didn't draw attention to the fine fathers that we have that are working so hard in this church. Thank you. You have happy kids. I love our church for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is all the happy kids. I love to find them eating a donut and remind them all these donuts are free and you can have as many as you want. I guess I should make sure their parents are okay with that first, shouldn't I? I'm not good at that. The, the children's Christmas choir. Highlight of my year last year. I walked in during practice. I was taken aback, literally. I was like, holy cow. Glory to God. I just thought, wow. Where did all these kids come from? And they can sing and what I loved the most was, you know, all the folks leading and organizing and working with these kids like herding cats, trying to get a choir together for Christmas. Well, behind that children's choir is a lot of very fine dads who work really hard and sacrifice. And I want you to see this morning that your love and your care and your patience your provision for your family, it's very important. It is a huge role you are playing because when I say to them, you're praying to your Father in heaven. They have a great picture of a father. So thank you. We should think about his majesty, his greatness, his almighty power when we are anxious. We should remember, He knows everything. 
Everything about us. He's our Father in heaven. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And he knows everything. Verse 8. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Well, why do we have to ask? Because he loves for us to ask. He wants us to pray. Jerry Bridges says it's difficult for us to fully appreciate the reality of God sovereignly doing as he pleases in our lives because we don't see him doing anything. Instead, we see ourselves or other people acting and events occurring and we evaluate those actions and events according to our own preferences and plans. We see ourselves influencing or perhaps even controlling or being controlled by the actions of other people. But we don't see God at work. God wants you to see him at work in your life. It's not luck. But over all the actions and events of our lives, God is in control. But to derive the comfort and encouragement from this truth that God has provided, we must trust Him. We must learn to walk, as Paul said, by faith, not by sight. The kingdom is spiritual. The, the things eternal are unseen. By faith, we know. We, we come to God, our Father. We're, we're approaching the almighty, eternal, ever-blessed God who has become our Father in Christ. We see this by faith. He knows what is good for his child. He looking at you through his almightiness and a holy love. He knows your every need. He hears every prayer. That's the biggest difference in our cultures. That God is our Father. Second point, hallowed be your name. This is the first petition, Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, verse 9, hallowed be your name. Notice the order of the Lord's Prayer. You never begin with yourself. It's very important. Nothing is more important in our Christian lives than having this great concern about God and His honor and His glory. We're, we're saying, Father in heaven, make and keep your name holy. Make it be esteemed. Make it be set apart from all else. God's name is about His fame and His glory. It represents His powers, His wisdom, His righteousness, His mercy. His faithfulness, it's the sum of all his characteristics, his attributes, all his works, his name. We are praying, Lord, let your name be exalted in my life. Let it be exalted in all your world, in all your works. All that is true about you, Lord, all that's been revealed to us. Let it be magnified. John Piper says, 
I found over several decades that the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer help me keep God at the center of my desires and prayer. According to Jesus' instruction, the first burden we should bring to God in prayer is that the name of God be hallowed. In the Lord's Prayer, we're asking that God would do whatever he must do so that his name is revered and esteemed and cherished in the world. We're asking that his spiritual kingdom come in the hearts of people. If this is the lodestar, the pole star, the north star, and the constellation of our prayers, the one we're, that's guiding us, then all other requests will have their proper place. Every request, even for daily bread, is really a concrete way of asking God's name and will and kingdom take the supreme place in our hearts. Listen, that's probably more important than you realize. Because the unhappiness all around us, the discouragement, the depression, the, the answer for this is the blessings of God. Happy, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those blessings come through prayer. And one of the reasons is prayer keeps God at the center of our lives. Our unhappiness is usually caused by a self-focus, by listening to ourself. And this prayer is brilliant because it gets our focus. It keeps God at the center of our lives and it brings blessing in our lives. When, when we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to guide our lives so that we think, we say, we do things that make him look great. And he is great. And we're, we're praying, we're asking him to do a miracle so that our chief desire is for his glory. He is, is worthy to be praised. It's radical, it's countercultural, it's hard to understand until your eyes are open. Until you see these things by the grace of God. And then there's, God creates in us this desire to show His glory, His majesty. It, it, it gives us a desire to see all the ungodliness that dishonors his holy name, that degrades this hallowing. It, it gives us this desire to pray that it'll perish, all that'll go away, and let his glory shine with greater radiance than ever before. That's what this prayer is about. And those who truly pray like this, they experience joy like no one else. They experience a deep and abiding joy, a happiness. This is the way to slay discouragement. This is the prayer just for you. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
when you begin to genuinely, that's your desire, when you begin to pray like that, you're going to be a very happy person. Let us pray for God's glory to be seen. Let us pray that it be rejoiced in first with us and then the whole world around us. Father in heaven, teach us to pray. Father, I pray for this week. We're just so thankful for weeks set aside. Thanks for all the folks that worked on the booklet. Thanks for all the authors, all the teachers we have access to in our bookstore. Father, we give ourselves, we commit ourselves to this week to pray, Lord. We want to learn how to pray. Teach us to pray. We cry, Father. None of us are satisfied with our prayer life. None of us feel like we're experts in prayer. None of us, Lord. We need help. We need forgiveness for our prayerlessness, Lord. Forgive us. And use this week and use your prayer and our study, all our time together. Lord, use it to create a culture of prayer, Lord, in this church for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.